Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Welcome back to another episode of the Global Marketing Show. I'm Wendy Pease, and I'm thrilled to have you here. As you know, we're brought to you by Rapport International, who connects you to anyone anywhere in the world in over 200 different languages. And today's tidbit is about knocking on wood, because you're going to be knocking on wood at the end of this one. So in Germany, it's a tradition to knock on the table to applaud at the end of a very good meeting or a lecture. You don't hand clap in Germany unless you're at the theater or concert. So get the wood near you because like I said, you're gonna love love this interview today. So Natalia Berdikian is our guest today. She's a business expert, a culture expert, She's a language expert. She speaks four and a half languages. And I met her through Entrepreneurs Organization, where I know that she's extremely well-liked and knowledgeable. She also does a lot of coaching to help people get from stress to joy. But today, we're going to talk about chocolate and the global market of chocolate. So Natalia, welcome. I am excited Thank to have you, you here. Thank you. That's uh, that's a beautiful opportunity. Two hundred languages. Wow. My four and a half are <laughs> I'm lost in there. <laughs> <laughs> What's the half a language? I got curious about that. Well, it's probably one I should speak. But I lived in Holland and in Belgium, and it's Dutch. I understand it. I speak some of it, but somehow it never landed with me. And I lived so much, so long around it. Something with that language. I appreciate it a lot. And I understand it. But yeah, don't Which is interesting because you speak German, right? No, no, no. It's really, it's French, Spanish, Russian, and English. And well, Dutch, I did live in Germany, but I lived much, much longer in Holland, Netherlands. Uh And yeah. Try not to feel ashamed for not speaking it fluently, but hey, no guilt. <laughs> That's all right. Most people don't speak more than one language, at least here in the United States. So four and a half languages is very good. Now, I wonder if I speak some Spanish, French, and Italian, does that mean I speak two languages if I speak about a third of each of those? <laughs> uh, well, whatever you think, whatever you feel comfortable saying. Yeah. So tell me, what's your what's your favorite chocolate? And how did you get into the chocolate industry? Wow, chocolate. It's a, it was a journey to get into chocolate. Before chocolate, I was in business aviation and publishing and IT supplies and real estate and you name it. Chocolate, chocolate. So I was living in Belgium at the time and my now ex-partner proposed to to have a venture together and it is an amazing brand a 130 year old brand in Belgium that is produces very beautiful traditional products that are used for very niche occasion especially in Europe 
when the babies are born or when there is a wedding or there is a communion, they give those drages as a gift and they come in 50 different colors, not not tall, not the 200, but 50 different kind of beautiful colors. And it's kind of like almond coated in sugar or chocolate coated in sugar, kind of like sophisticated M&Ms, but sophisticated, huh? beautiful product, lots of sugar and lots of colors. Okay. And so that's a traditional gift in Belgium during or in Europe. Exactly. Belgium. So in Belgium, they give it for birth. So when the baby is born, they choose a color for a party or a couple of colors. And they, they make a little box where they put little dragees, those little almonds coated in, in sugar in a particular color. And they give a little box to each person that comes to greet the baby. When there is in, in in Italy, for example, it's for the wedding and weddings is a big thing in Italy. They love getting married. They also love getting divorced and then getting married again. So very popular <laughs> over there. And they give it as well for the guests at the wedding. I'm going to a wedding, Italian wedding in, in June. And then in Luxembourg, which is next door to Belgium, they use it for communion. You know, a couple of times it's more religious thing, around 12 years old, I think. And in, in Portugal, they use those dragees for Easter, which is coming up. So they basically give it to all the guests that come in Easter colors. And while one needs to be very careful not to break a tooth on that thing, because again, it has a lot of sugar. Very beautiful, but a lot of sugar. So every culture, every country, and then there is Middle East, Turkey, Jordania, etc. They use the almonds items in sugar also for different occasions so it's quite a cultural thing and for in different countries it's used for a different purpose so we produce those and we're a market leader for that product which is becoming less and less used i must say because people prefer to give anything but chocolate hmm. nowadays Okay, so you so you and your former partner decide that you're going to take this this business and the global marketing must have been fascinating for that because you had to figure out where the chocolate the sugar covered almonds, chocolate covered almonds were going to be or when they were going to be gifted in each country which would be different. Totally, totally. So in in US that would be more, more like crispy type of things kind of like M&M, crispy M&Ms, but with different different layers of sugar to give it a beautiful color. So it's nice. It looks it looks nice. It's not just M&Ms at a low price. It's more a high-end product. And really every country had a different tradition and a different look at that product because it's not something you would just buy and eat. We were we were developing new gifting packages and different gifting items. So it's something nice to put at the table with a nice packaging, for example, like a, a little flower that opens up and then you have those items in the middle to give away and share with other people. So it's the tradition that has been created around chocolate. Can you walk me through the process of how you figure this out? Because, you know, you've gone through the journey and so you can, you know, now what each market wanted and then so you think about the creative but here you start in Belgium and it's used for babies and then what did you 
what was the next step? Did you say we're going to go into an, a new market or, you know, did you pick a market or did you do market research? Like, how did you develop your marketing strategy for international expansion? Well, it started understanding what it, what actually exists. So going to an international chocolate fair, for example, an exhibition, there was one in Germany, in the US, I went to New York, Paris, etc. You see what is actually present on the market and from which countries. And then and having a stance there, different countries started coming to us. So we had requests from, from Norway, for example. There's a chain, I think it exists also in Canada, it's called Tiger. And there are 500 different shops and they were co-creating products with us. For example, there was a Valentine's, right? It's a Valentine's, so we would create little chocolate hearts coated in red or pink and do a mix of red and pink or red and silver with real silver it was the most expensive ingredient in the factory real silver leaf and that was coming from Italy yeah very expensive you don't want to lose the box of silver from Italy to Belgium so you know you have different occasions because it's it's a festive thing so for each holiday we started creating different items so we had valentine's we had easter then for easter different countries well people like eggs so because we are specialized in coating right so taking a chocolate or taking a nut and coating it with sugar and then the color around so then easter eggs so coating easter eggs in different colors and then you have a mix of different color eggs that you can give to a friend when you come visit or eat it yourself but it's 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 nice it's beautiful it's a beautiful item to gift and to have on the table then we have for every holiday, there was a product that we could create. For a football, there is a football match in Belgium. So we'd create the the yellow, yellow, black, and red little M&M kind of product thingies in, in the bag. And there's a lot of marketing around packaging because at the end of the day, it's sometimes it's more about packaging than the product. So <laughs> right, looking right. into the packaging. And if you look at the packaging... And then you look at different markets, how, how, which packaging should we create so it's also feasible to transport and most cost effective to produce, pack and transport. So all of these things had to be considered for different markets. If you look at Japan, for example, they, they prefer to have nice little chocolate items in a nice, beautiful box and pay a lot for it. Wouldn't work in Belgium. And especially wouldn't work in US because it has to be a more a massive, a massive product, massive production, low margins, simple packaging. So it really for different markets and different occasion and different retail store, then we go into another aspect of it. Is it a boutique shop, a specialty boutique shop, or is it a retail store? Is it um all Woods or is it Aldi Lidl somewhere in in Germany? Well, that was an interesting uh, project there. So it sounds like a lot of your effort went into the creativity on what kind of products and what kind of packaging. And so your your strategy was more. It sounds like people heard 
about you and then came to you because you do a unique thing? Or did you have to, what did you have to do to sell or open a new market? To sell and open a new market. When they came and they saw the product, they just liked the product because it's nice and pretty. Now, the question was, how do we package it? And for which price can we buy it so we can actually make margin? And then if you look at Russia, they love the product. Now, if you have a local production and local packaging, the question starts, okay, how about you import, you export bulk and we package here, for example, because the cost of packaging and transport is just so huge. So at the end, it was really working with the client to co-create a product and the packaging that would suit their market. So a lot of further sales were really based on working with the client and hearing and listening to their needs to create something that would fit their market and would give them a unique selling point. Okay, so your clients were like the tiger chain in Norway. As an example, yeah, it, it that is a good example because a retail chain at the end of the day want to be unique. Every year they come up with different product line. Sometimes it's the same, but generally they come up with a different product line. They improve in the quality. Then there is a whole question, okay, can we have more natural ingredients? In our cases, colorants, more natural colorants, etc based on plant-based plant colorants, for example, because we were all about the color. So how can you maintain a beautiful, stable color and be natural? Mm -hmm. That was a good challenge as well. So <laughs> go through all of these challenges and it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a creative process. So for UK market, it's more, for example, a, a more mass market situation where we would have to create a product that is cost efficient, beautiful, <laughs> efficient to export and sellable in their chain. And they're the best people that would know what sells the best in their store. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you would go to the conferences people would like your product because you could customize it for them. So they would be very unique and different as the retailer. And then they would give you suggestions because they knew the local market. Correct. Correct. We, at the same time, we were also creating our own branded products in our packaging, but the reality is the volume was coming from the clients themselves. And because okay. we are a producer, it's not just a brand, but a producer, like any producer, you can create anything the client desires as long as it sells and it makes, it costs, covers the cost and makes money, ideally. Right, right. Yeah. So when you're talking about, you know, the Belgian people wanted to have it for the babies or Italians wanted to give it as wedding gifts. You were really selling through the retailers and they, they would tell you what they wanted to offer so that they, they could get a bunch of them in and then sell so many of them onto the end client. 
Correct. Yeah, there are different situations. Once the sale, the bulk sales, so we just would produce a bunch of Easter eggs and sell it to a distributor or a, a, a yeah a, a chain and they would pack it themselves with their branding so there was one situation like that for example another one was developing something for the client and already deliver packaged products either our packaging or co-created with them because then they sort of responsible as well right Okay, so you have the bulk sales, which they would do their own branding and their their own packaging. And then you had kind of another level, which was the co-creating for the, the branding and the packaging. Correct. And then you had your own branded products. Correct. There's a lot of innovation, a lot of creativity in there, which is really great because you can go anywhere from here. We What we were creating were several new colors every year. And again, that was also trended by the, the color trends of the packaging. So it's ah. interesting. Everything was sort of correlated and connected. Right. Kind of okay. like, for instance, if the general health trend now, and that's what happened then, general trend is to have lower sugar products, more natural products, mm-hmm. stevia, etc., blah, 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 natural colors, etc. So if that is a trend and the consumer is looking for those items packaging with zero gluten, zero sugar, zero that and that and the other, as a producer, as in a retailer as well, you're sort of under pressure to deliver to the needs of the client. Right? So, so, and then you start innovating. Right. So your core competency was really how do you, how could you do production runs of things that your clients are asking for? So being very creative, new colors, new ingredients, but being able to produce it produce high quality chocolate gifts or almond covered well no because you didn't use almonds and everything because you said you we, had some other different products so it was almonds i was chocolate coated in sugar it was almonds coated in sugar crispy things coated in sugar so everything coated in sugar i think sugar was eight percent of our ingredients <laughs> and that's how i later switched from energizing people by sugar to energizing people with their core resource being their own energy which is an interesting switch yeah and we're going to get to that okay so this has been fantastic so you have also lived in what was it 24 different countries in 25 years no, no, no. It was six countries. I moved 25 times in 25 years. Well, 25 <laughs> countries, that would be a bit much, but no. Six. Yeah, I, I was trying to do the math on that. I'm like, that's a different country every year, but it didn't seem like that was, okay, so six countries in 25 years. Six countries, 25 years, and I did move within the countries. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So talk to me. Here you are. You were born in Russia. You moved to the United States when you're 16. You li- you've lived in multiple, you ran a company in Belgium. 
talk to me about becoming a global citizen. Like what have been some of the biggest shocks when you've moved around? How did you become a global citizen? How did you develop that cultural intelligence? Well, when I was 16, well, my grandfather was a diplomat. So I think thanks to him, he sort of gave a green light to my mom to let me go to see the world sort of. And that's what I did since 16. When I was, when I went to US, it was an exchange student program. It was nothing in exchange about it. I went one way. And <laughs> instead of living in one family, I ended up living in four different families, going to two high schools instead of one. So speaking about cultural change, like four times over and adapting to change, I didn't speak much English when I landed. And I remember my host sister picking me up with the family and I was trying to understand what she was saying because, you know, kids speak slightly different than adults, articulation. And I was thinking, wow, if I can understand her, I can understand <laughs> anything. And I had to go to school and everything. And, now, which uh, state was that in? Because that can vary too. I was wish. lucky. I was lucky. So imagine going from Moscow, former Soviet Union, to California in the, 90, in the 90s. I mean, people in high school were asking me, where is Russia? And do you, do you have bears walking around? <laughs> no, and, no. Yeah, so, yeah, cultural shock was big. But then it was also the other way around. When I was at the customs a year after standing in the customs, back then, the 90s, Russia was still very brown and gray. And in us everybody's smiling right all the time and she i i'm asking is anybody smiling in this country and she looks at me seriously she says if you don't like it you can turn around and go back i'm like oh my goodness so, so yeah, you're in california yeah, so you were expecting more people to smile after a year in the country and then you try to go back home that you grew up in and it I had a cultural culture shock. shock. I had a culture yeah. shock when I was going back and and it took me I think one and a half years and I left and then I was living in Europe ever since. I mean Russia changed since then of course many times over but global citizen is yeah then going to Holland and not speaking Dutch luckily people there speak English and they speak English that well they actually don't facilitate you learning their language unlike France or Belgium or Spain where not everybody speaks English and then you sort of oblige to adopt and learn and which is great and hence the four languages a part of the Dutch because the Dutch all speak and love speaking English and they love adapting to others. And plus that nation, they because of the trade situation of Netherlands, they all speak like five different languages. So yeah, my four yeah. and a half is nothing. Because they had to trade with all those countries. Right, right. Yeah, I remember walking down the street in, uh, in Amsterdam and somebody spoke to a woman spoke to me and she said something in Dutch. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak it. And then, you know, I just gave her a look like, 
I don't understand. And then she switched to German. I did that again. And then she switched to English and we kind of laughed. I was like, that's just amazing <laughs> that quickly she could switch. Yeah. Because you actually could be Dutch or German looking at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no wonder that she spoke to you in those languages first. Right. And I tried to wear when I was traveling around, I tried to wear very, you know, one color, not not something that had like Arizona plastered across it like I'm wearing now. So you couldn't, she couldn't tell where I was from. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, okay. So what are your biggest, so it was a culture shock coming into the United States, a culture shock going back into Russia. And then is there another big culture shock you could share with us and how you would sure, sure so i met my ex now ex-husband who was spanish a lovely lovely man smiling all the time and we moved from holland to spain but to canarian islands so those are the spanish islands in next to africa they're actually closer to africa than they are to spain and so and it's an island me the capital girl of two, 20 million people going to an island, which is a million, and going into a Spanish family, not really speaking Spanish, and not only it's Spanish, it's like some up in the mountains Spanish where people eat half the world. At least my father-in-law eats half of the world. So I learned it halfway, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> it's not even that, but the culture shock is... You know, coming from a very efficient cultures where it's all about performance and doing and stuff, you come to a Latin culture, which Canarian Islands are more Latin than they're Spanish. So there's a difference between Latin American culture and Spanish culture. There, you know, you go into a family lunch thing and those things last for six hours, you know, and you can love them to bits, but at some point... And it's not like you talk about high level things and business and politics and all kind of cultural things and stuff. I don't even remember what we talk about. Not much. And six hours of a lot of sort of sun, the nice wine that is produced right there because every other person has a winery and lots of food, big mix of food that your stomach goes like turns around after a few hours it's a custom it's a tradition of a, a social culture it's not about it's not about food it's not about conversation it's not about music it's all of this together you have guitars you have the music you have the laughs you have everybody speaking at the same time so 6 hours <laughs> after your head explodes literally <laughs> you know the wine the heat the speak all speaking at the same time in the language that you know half spoken <laughs> so this is it, it 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 took a while and then i left because living on the island is, is quite sort of suffocating at some point and i went back to the capital but i can tell you i go back every time i can and it's the culture the people that give me the most humanity and love unconditional love that i have ever experienced they don't care where you come from, what you do, how much money you have on your bank account. It's just sincerely, purely there. And that's that richness that I haven't seen anywhere else in the world. Latin America compares to that. That's why I really love Latin cultures. They're just, 
it's not about materialistic stuff. So six hours drinking water and tomatoes and whatever they find in their garden makes them feel happy. And yeah, so culturally different, but very familiar. Yeah, that's fantastic. I love that. Now, before, I mean, so we've talked about cultural intelligence, how we go in, and we just talked about emotional intelligence. You also, in some of your work, are doing how do we wrap in AI, EI, emotional intelligence, and CI, cultural intelligence. So you've been doing some work or some thinking about that. Can you talk to me about it? Well, certainly we are moving at such huge speed, pace in life and businesses. Artificial intelligence, uh, chat GTP, it's all taking over. People are losing jobs or they're scared of what's tomorrow. They're confused. Their businesses are falling apart or just in shock. How are they catching up with all of that? And through all of this, the speed of light people do need to balance and that emotional intelligence and that cultural intelligence is key. Meaning that in order to stay well and balanced, as much as we need to be following the trends and being, you know, where the curve is and where the development is, we need to be balanced ourselves. We need to feel well. And I focus a lot on well-being and health and how to increase that sense of fulfillment with having less stress. Because, you know, if we have to run in front of the train, one needs to be very zen in order to be okay with everything happening around. So I don't self- think I could be Zen and run in front of a trade. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you start but... you start gravitating, I must tell you. Start gravitating. You are leaving the body and sort of floating in a way. And one just needs to be very well aware and be present and be an observer and participant at the same time. Otherwise, you go nuts. Mm-hmm. So being emotionally intelligent not only about around what's happening around us with people teams people we live with but also about ourselves you know connecting because we are at some point so disconnected to who we truly are and where we are because we're trying experience share of why how how you have felt that and how you modified your life to get to where you are on this okay yeah personal experience share so I found myself living several years ago living a picture perfect life great business great house great family money car great friends, great house parties, achieving everything that we are taught to achieve, you know, house, dog, family, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But then at some point, I found myself not being myself. It's like picture perfect wasn't perfect. And so going back to the core, taking off all of that, what society said we need to be and we need to do 
to get more connected to the core and actually go back to, okay, what actually makes me happy? Is it the house? Is it the car? Is this all the achievements and all the checks that I put at the end of the day? Done, done, done. It's not about that because one can actually lose themselves a lot with that. That's why I work a lot with highly ambitious individuals mainly even male entrepreneurs because they're all about getting wait 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 so let me finish that there so you went back to get into your core and so you know you weren't it sounds like you weren't happy and it wasn't a picture perfect life so what did you change to get back to happy everything or everything i've gone out of operations i went into re-education i got certified in in coaching i focus on energy leadership coaching i became a yoga instructor breath work went into complete different lifestyle in terms of nutrition activities sports no drinking like different lifestyle different habits I've changed the country yet again, as I love doing that, as you see. I changed the country, the business, basically getting back to the core of really asking, taking away all these layers, all the baggage that we carry, all the limiting beliefs, who am I really and what do I want? What makes he, me happy? What actually gives me energy? And that's why the the funny thing about moving from the sugar energizer to inner resource, the energy that energizes us. And so who, you were starting to say who you work with, who do you, and, and who you work with, I'm assuming correlates to who suffers the most from limiting beliefs and society rules so what do you what do you see in that area and we're we're getting off of global marketing here but i think people that do global marketing and have to travel a lot can really struggle with this too if they don't love the travel so let's bring it back to the types of people that you're working with and what their biggest challenges are to changing or where I always worked in the quiet male dominating industries or groups generally, even when I was in marketing and sales and business development, and then going into industries that were predominantly male and then into leadership and entrepreneurship, these people, people have a lot of pressure to perform Mm-hmm. to have the certain image that they're successful, that they're intelligent, that they're smart, that they're strong, that they can handle the resilience, all of that stuff. But when do they actually have the time to be themselves, to be vulnerable, to be authentic, to be true, just to be rather than to do so it's less heavy? And so all of that, all of this weight that they put, all the expectations that they put on themselves or the society puts on themselves, and then they feel a lot of responsibility towards the family, towards the business, towards the team. It's so heavy 
they get overwhelmed, overloaded, stressed out. It starts affecting their health, their relationships, the way they experience life, the way they show up. They're not at the best level of their leadership neither, although they think that they are because they're working through it and they're sort of grinding and they're in that red race thing. But that's not where the core potential is. It's not by putting self under so much pressure that their genius and their best capacity comes out. And so moving them into a different state, that's what I really love doing. And that's amazing because that gives them their life back, their capacity back, their freedom, their joy, their happiness together with all the success, but then with less effort and less stress. Mm, So they can still do what they were doing, but if they can figure out how to be their authentic self, well, then they're going to live life more in balance. Yeah. So I guess I heard an old quote, an old formula from my coach, Alicia Maria PeopleBiz, but she said to be plus to do equals to have. Right. Yeah. And I move the people from the need to have to having to not needing and having that abundance because it's there to start with. Yeah. Now, I've always been really curious. You're multicultural and you talked about, you know, the Canary Islands and where people live there and they focus more on humanity and how you can be helpful there. Uh, I mean, happy there and included. Does this driving to do, is that cultural? Like it comes more from these efficiency cultures or is this something that goes across entrepreneurs across the world or certain types of people, you know, your, your client types across the world? Right. I would say both. Firstly, entrepreneurs are more driven, but they're also driven by purpose, the higher purpose and impact and passion. But culturally, Definitely, there's a big difference between working with U.S. people versus Spanish. A European versus North North American, generally, in Europe, we work to live and we don't live to work. Mm -hmm. Hence, there's more holidays, more quality of life. People enjoy the sun, the meals, the social for six hours okay those are weekends but still that's why <laughs> siestas they go into two hours with a glass with the people it's all about the people and connection it's not about feeling productive they don't associate the value in doing their own value is not just what they do it's who they are mm-hmm. now Now that's North America versus Europe. In Europe, however, you can definitely see different culture trends of Germany and Holland, where people are more process-oriented, they're more structure-oriented, they're more rules-oriented, they're also more reliable. 
you know, the train in, in Germany and Switzerland works by the second. If a Dutch says it's four, it's four. It's not 30 minutes later like the Spanish as a rule. So does this make a difference on how you're targeting your clients now? I'm not necessarily targeting. They sort of come to me because energy attracts like energy and that's where the need is. But I would say I'm more I'm working with the US clients more than I'm working with European at the moment. Plus so there is a very very cultural element to it. <laughs> but plus there is a big need in general in terms of mental health. Like generally in the US, in the US. like here it's it's really again it's it it has to do with nutrition with sleeping habits with social environment with the mentality you know that you know the society the, the employment laws uh, all of that is is so different europe has 20 40 holidays a year versus us what 10 i don't know if that's changing yeah U.S. the salary is paid to get all included with tax here. The ta the company is paying tax, and then the government pays that as social security support, pension, and all the rest of it. So okay. you kind of work, and then you know they will take care of you. So they're that is a whole other episode that I would love to do with you, but we are out of time now. So I do want to wrap up. This has been absolutely fabulous i've never had anybody kind of tie in all the all all of this together so you know this this question's coming because i always like to to wrap up with it is what's your favorite foreign word or phrase and to you foreign could be any language <laughs> foreign yeah many different ways i'd say good you said phrase because i'd say how are you and I tell you why. In, in US, what I've learned in the 90s, when someone says, how are you? And I had the habit to respond. The person was already somewhere else. It's just a matter <laughs> of speech. I didn't know. Like I was like literally responding to the question. Here, it's more likely people respond to a question how are you? Fine, you know, happy or sad or whatever. But I look at it from a different way. If I ask you, how are you? How do you feel? How are you? And you are your mind, body, your soul, and the heart. And if you were to make a scan, how are you really? How are you feeling? Are you energized? Are you focused? Are you rested? Are you rested? and all of that stuff. How does your mind, body, and soul feel in the moment? Ah. So that, how are you? For me, it's, it's a deeper <laughs> question than, you know. <laughs> that is exactly so. What the differences in the work environment is in both areas and then getting into just the term, how are you? <laughs> that is a great phrase to bring up differences in culture. Yeah. So Natalia, where can people reach you? I know that your passion is the coaching and you work with people from all over the world. So where can somebody reach you if they'd like to know more? 
certainly it's coaching training executive retreats uh, and you bet they will be multicultural and multi-dimensional Natalia Berdikian on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. I think you have my name in there. And lifebydesign-academy.com. Happy to support, to serve, and tell jokes in different cultures. Excellent. Oh, excellent. So that's Natalia Berdikian, and that's N-A-T-A-L-Y-A. Her last name is spelled B as in boy, E-R, D as in David, I-K-Y-A-N. So you can find her on LinkedIn. And we'll have all the links to Life by Design and her LinkedIn in the show notes. This is fantastic. And you have lived the journey. And I'm sure you're like the best coach for entrepreneurs. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So listeners, I appreciate you tuning in for today. If you know anybody that is interested in going global, this is another way to find markets by finding the end consumers at the conferences and then custom making your products for them to deliver. So this one in the prior episode by Genius Games with John Covey, this is a great example of you don't actually have to do all the fulfillment and figure out who the end consumer are, but how do you find those partners to really get your products around the world? So share this with somebody that might have something that could be sold globally. It might spark some ideas. Appreciate it if you subscribe and give, give us a five-star rating so we continue to be found by the people who are interested. So au revoir, arrivederci, and we'll talk to you next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.